ramp to our feet and she talked about how how stable it is and how certain it is in our lives and and I want to talk I think it's important for us to understand that why we the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ is so reliable is because this book is reliable that's why and we just want to spend a little time on that this morning okay and um I have a few scriptures for you to, for us to look at as we look at this unshakable truth of God's word and how it will always stand. And um, the first one actually is in Matthew. Jesus has just been talking about um, actually the end time. He's talking about how the time is coming, uh, what's going to happen in the last days. And he kind of caps it off with this, with, this first, with this scripture in Matthew where it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And when he talks about heaven, he's not talking about God's the place where God dwells, but he's talking about heaven as, as described in the book of Genesis. You know, when God created the heavens, he created the sky and outer space, you know? So Jesus is saying that the universe, the, the present sky, and the, the planets, outer space, and the earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's what Jesus said. My word will never pass away. It's eternal. It's unshakable. Even though the earth is going to be, it's going to be like a burnt marshmallow one these days. You know, and the whole, all the galaxies will be destroyed. All the galaxies will be gone. And God's going to remake everything. It's going to be, he's going to remake everything in a flash. Second Timothy says, Paul says in Second Timothy 3, he says, for all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. We never like that part much. It's not pleasant to be rebuked by God's word, but correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the, Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, God's, all God's word is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. You know this. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So God's word is simply unshakable. And that's why it's so important that we understand this validity, its, its authenticity, uh, so we can, we can uh, understand that the resurrection is in the same category. Um, you know, as you know, I think I mentioned this before. When I was a small boy, my father used to wake us up on a Sunday morning playing Southern Gospel and Bluegrass records and, uh, you know, to get us up and at them and awaken us for breakfast, get ready for church services. And I recall there was one, one record where Tennessee Ernie Ford, my dad still has it at his house. I think it's going to be mine someday if I can find a record player, huh? Um, but uh, he still has these records there. And, but this one record, Timber Tennessee Ernie Ford, he would give a little illustration before he would sing the song. There'd be a little story, a little, little quip of something, little, just a little, little small uh, nugget of truth that he would talk about. And one of the stories went like this. And I thought it was so, well, again, I'm just a little boy listening to these things. But it says this. He said, the story is told of a young man who was preparing for a long trip. He told his friend, I'm just about packed. I only have to put in a guidebook, a mirror, a microscope, a lamp, a telescope, a volume of fine poetry, a package of old letters, a few biographies, a book of songs, a sword, a hammer, and a set of books I've been studying. But you can't get all that into your bag, said his friend. 
Oh, yes, I can, he replied. It doesn't take much room. And with that, he placed his Bible in the corner of his suitcase and closed the lid. You may have heard that before, but I remember hearing that as a, as a little kid. And it really impressed me. I wasn't even a Christian, but it just impressed me. And now that, that uh, I've walked with the Lord, you know, for a good number of years, it even impresses me more now that the Bible is simply an astounding book. It, uh, I've read it for over 51 years and as a Christian, and I feel sometimes when I look at it, I've just scratched the surface. You know, I, I, um, to think about the powerful holy book we have in our possession, and most of us have many copies of it, many different translations of it, and to think that we have this dynamic document that is, is really the most accurate and authentic ancient writing in our culture is absolutely astounding. And we just kind of, I know we get used to it. We take it for granted. We can't help it. It's a, it's a tendency. We get familiar with spiritual things. But we need to, you know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit checks us on that, we need to just say, yeah, Lord, uh, help, me to, help me to be, you know, more careful about my attitude toward the Word, to, to not take it for granted. I remember my, uh, one of my... Um, uh, old pastors, my pastors when I was just a little boy, I still remember his wife uh, saying that she held the Word of God so high that she said, I just can't place any other article or paper or magazine on top of it. She said, wherever it is at our house, it's always on top of any book. <laughs> and I'll never forget uh, how Mrs. Commons told me, uh, told us that one day, I believe probably in a, in a, in a Bible lesson she was, she was teaching us. But um, the, the Word of God goes by different names, of course. There's lots of names for God's Word. It's called what? It's called the Holy Scriptures, right? It's called the Good Book. Some people call it the Good Book. It's, it is the Good Book. They call it the Sacred Writings. It's called the Testaments, of course. It's called the Holy Writ. And, of course, we call it the Bible, right? We call it the Holy Bible. Um, we call it a, a book. It's, it's actually, of course, it's, it's 66 individual books, isn't it? It's not just, it's, it's a book, yes, but it's, it's actually made up of many books. It's 66 books here, and uh, 39 of them are in the Old Testament. 27 of them are in the New Testament, of course. And um, just to give you a little history about the Bible and how it came about, uh, that the Bible was written uh, over a period of roughly like 2,000 years by 40 different authors. 40 different authors, and they spanned uh, three continents. Um, of course, it was written in Israel, and that would be the continent of Asia. And some passages from Jeremiah were written actually in Egypt. And of course, that's on the continent of Africa. And there's several New Testament ep you know, epistles. They were written from cities in Europe. So there's like three different continents that the Bible was written on and by 40 different authors. And these, these authors, they wrote here also, they wrote in three different languages. They wrote in Hebrew, they wrote in Aramaic, which is like a cousin. It's a cousin of, of Hebrew and also Greek. So these facts alone just make the Bible very unique. There's not another, another uh, document, a set of books like them. There are, there's a lot of 
many uh, amazing details that defy natural explanation. I tell you, uh, there's shepherds. So, some of the authors, they were shepherds. Some were kings. Some were scholars. Some were fishermen. Some were prophets. Some were, there was, there was even a military general. There's a, a cupbearer. There's a, a priest. And all pen portions of these scriptures. So there were, there were some who were very, you know, they were very educated and very like the prophet Isaiah. He was served in the, in the, in the, uh, in the palace. And you got the prophet Amos, who was like a, a shepherd. He dealt with sheep, you know, sheep. And, and you know, there were some who were very, you know, uh, uh, refined. Others were, you know, more like me, not so refined. And just, just uh, you know, just um, uh, different from all different backgrounds. That's who penned Again, portions of the scriptures here. But the Bible is unlike any other religious book. Um, Despite the 40 authors, despite the three continents and over nearly 2,000 years, it maintains, this is what makes it unique. Think about it. Written over 2,000 years, all these different authors, and yet it maintains this perfect consistency of a message. Try doing that with 40 different authors over 2,000 years and have, some, have a book that doesn't contradict itself. Really amazing. Its, it's words point unerringly to Christ whose work on the cross was ordained by God, of course, and the true author of the Bible before the world even began. But among all the books ever written, the Bible is absolutely unique uh, one of its most remarkable qualities is how it, this, the overall message, um, again, from different authors, from different backgrounds, different temperaments, different personalities, they cover hundreds of controversial topics, and yet they never contradict each other. Um, these, um, there's just this flawless internal consistency that you see in the Bible. And it keeps a common theme, always leaning toward this Messiah coming and this culmination of history in the Lord that God has for us. There's a, uh, I want to show you a short video. Kim's going to show you this short video by a Dr. Tim Chafee uh, demonstrating the reliability and the authenticity of the Bible. I think you'll find this really interesting. That Dr. Chafee, what he does, he has a number of ancient documents and he shows the number of, of copies that each of these documents represent. Each, each one of these documents they have, there's a number of ancient copies. And then he, show, then he compares that to the number of copies and, that we have of the Bible. Have you ever heard someone claim that the Bible's been through so many changes and so many revisions that we really can't know what the original message was? Let's use some coffee beans to illustrate a major problem with that argument. And what we're going to do is look at the manuscript evidence for some ancient writings compared to the manuscript evidence for the New Testament. That is, we're going to be looking at the handwritten copies made before the days of the printing press for each of these works. For example, for Tacitus, he wrote his famous work called The Annals around the year AD 100. And the earliest copy we have for that comes from about 750 years later. So there's a 750 year gap between when it was written and our earliest copy. And how many copies do we have? Just two. So let's put two beans in this cup to represent those manuscripts. For Plato's Dialogues, there's a 1200 year gap and we have just seven copies. 
For the histories by Herodotus, there's a 1,300-year gap with just nine copies. And we have 10 copies of Caesar's Gallic Wars after a 900-year gap. Now, very few people question whether we have the original message of these writings, yet they constantly attack the Bible on this point. And yet the manuscript evidence we have for these is so minimal, and the gap between when they were written and when their earliest copies come from is enormous. So what about the New Testament? Well, it was written in the first century AD, and the earliest manuscript evidence we have for it comes within 50 years of that time. Now, how many copies do we have? Well, there are nearly 6,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts, and they average about 450 pages each. Looks like I should have used a bigger cup. But you know what? That's just the Greek manuscripts. When we count the other languages, like Latin, Coptic, and Armenian, there's another 20,000 manuscripts. As I mentioned earlier, critics and skeptics rarely question whether we have the original message of these writings, and yet they frequently attack the Bible on this point. You know, it really just shows their bias. But when we look at the evidence before us, we see that their arguments really don't amount to a hill of beans. Well, that is impressive, isn't it? I don't, first time I ever saw that, I was so impressed by that. I was mostly impressed that they counted 20,000 beans in that bag. That was amazing. But, uh, well, the evidence is overwhelming, isn't it? That God's word is, is uh, he, he planned to make it, uh, uh, well, more... Um, more than, more than convincing. It, 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 convincing us that he spoke this word into existence through 40 different authors and has continued it, maintained it through all gen generations. And that's why in the book of Revelation, the two witnesses that will never die that the Bible talks about are, first of all, the word of God and the church of Jesus Christ. That no matter how the world tries to stamp it out, burn it, destroy it, put it put to death, it always survives and it always is resurrected. Amen. Amen. But both the Bible and history, again, they, they weave together this, uh, this seamless uh, harmony as though the Creator really has ordained this plan of, the, of, of Christ and joining us with Himself through Christ. He's recorded in Scripture. And the Bible says that even and the action was even planned before history began. So that that's amazing in itself. Um, let me just look at let's just look for a few moments at the consistency here of the message. You know, I, I said that the Bible is consistent; it doesn't contradict itself. And uh, um, there's uh, again 66 books, one consistent message. And in spite again of, of writing uh, different writing styles, different times, different contexts, different periods of history. Uh, the, the, the authors uh, have the same message about God's eternal plan. Um, from creation, the flood, to Christ's work on the cross, the re resurrection, 
and finally the consummation of God's plan uh, when, uh, when the world comes to an end and God begins the new, the new world. And you can find these truths stated in Moses, you know, in the Old Testament, prophets as well, and Christ himself and also the apostles. So I, I want us to just take a look at this for just a second. For example, with the, with the first creation here. The first creation. Moses talks about it, that in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. The Apostle John talks about it. By God, all things were made. The Apostle John talks about that in the first chapter of his gospel. And of course, Jesus said, at the beginning, God made them male and female. So we we have this consistent message coming from three different authors, if you will, three different people about the first creation. Noah's flood also. Let's just take a look at that. Moses writes, Noah went into the ark. The waters increased greatly and all flesh died that moved upon the earth. And Apostle Peter said, the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. And then Jesus mentions, talks about Noah as well. Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and took them all away. And the Let's look at the res- resurrection to see if is the, there's a consistency there. In the Old Testament, King David said, For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in a grave. And then the Apostle Paul said, Christ was buried and rose again the third day. And Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Let's look at one, one last, one last uh, um, segment here, topic on the new, new creation. Uh, the prophet Isaiah said that God says, I will make a new heaven, new heavens and a new earth, says the Lord. The Apostle John says, and I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth there in the book of Re- Revelation. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Hmm. So you see that consistency from Old Testament to New Testament. There's a consistency of truth, a consistency of doctrine. And, uh, and of course, there's so many copies of the, the Bible, the, the, the most copies of any ancient document, the copies help to uh, assure its authenticity as you compare copies and copies. And so, loved ones, the real gospel, the real gospel, the first century gospels, we discover that Jesus came doing something very unique. And it's good for us to remember this. That when Jesus first came, you know what he did. He came proclaiming a kingdom. Now, we're not used to that word kingdom, but he came proclaiming this, this kingdom. And uh, Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven because he was writing to Jews. John talks about the kingdom of God because he was writing to Gentiles. But they mean the same thing. That, that Jesus came said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said the kingdom had come and it would make a difference for eternity. And the kingdom means wherever there's a kingdom, there means there has to be a ruler. And so when we receive the kingdom of God, it means that God is ruling over our life. That's, that's what it means. That God has taken over rulership of our hearts, of our lives, of our bodies. That we are under his power. We are under his authority. That's what the kingdom means. Jesus said the kingdom's coming, so repent and uh, receive, receive the kingdom. Now, this is what, um, well, Jesus was saying it was going to make a difference for eternity, not just this temporary world. And this is what the Jews could not get in their noggins. They just had a hard time getting that truth, that, that thought in their noggins, including his 12 disciples. The Jews couldn't get it out of their heads to think bigger, to think grander. Not just a temporary Israel state, 
They thought all the kingdom had to do was about them. It was about the about the, their their nation of Israel somehow um, overcoming, overthrowing Rome, and becoming a super state. And Jesus came saying, you know, uh, repeatedly he he came saying, guys, it's um, it's bigger than that. What I'm giving you, it's it's bigger than that than just a temporary Israel state. It's kind of like have have you ever watched uh, the uh, movie uh, Willy Wonka? Anyone ever watch that? You know, yeah, I, I, it's one of my favorites. I, I love it when those kids get what they you know, what they deserve. Um, but um, you know, those rotten children. But uh, it's really a great great movie. I uh, uh, at the end, you know, uh, because uh, if you know the story, if you don't know the story, well. The, Go home and watch the movie. It's really good. You can, you can find it somewhere. But uh, Charlie, who is the most promising of all the, all the kids, he did slip up and he, uh, you know, he, did, he broke the rules uh, during the tour of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Uh, spoiler alert, okay? There you go, if you haven't seen it. But um, he redeems himself, doesn't he? He, uh, he gives back the everlasting gobstopper, right? You know, he gives it back. Uh, he, he, was, he could sell it. He could have sold it to uh, Willy Wonka's um, arch enemy, you know, and, uh, and probably got a lot of money. At least that was what he was told. But he gave it back to Willy Wonka and said, I'm sorry that I broke the rules. And so he, he, he was redeemed. And all the... Uh, when Willie Wonka announced to Charlie that he won, that won the contest, because the, the contest actually, uh, the, the promise was, if you win the contest, you'll win a lifetime supply of chocolate, right? And so he was all excited. That, so I win the chocolate? I win the chocolate? And he said, yes, 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 you win the chocolate, but so much more. I have so much more to give you. And we know it was actually... Willy Wonka was going to give him the factory, the entire factory. And loved ones, that's really kind of what Jesus came doing. He's saying, behold, the kingdom of God is, is with us and repent and receive it. And all the Israelites could think of, you mean we get the chocolate? Huh? We get the chocolate? And he said, um, it's not about the chocolate. It's about the factory. It's about everything. It's about eternity. It's about this, this gospel. This kingdom's going to go around the world. It's big. It's bigger than you can imagine. It's grander, and God's giving it to you. This relationship with Him, this wonderful relationship with Him, this kingdom where He's your king, and He's going to rule over you, and He's a gracious and glorious king. Amen? You know, what, what did Jesus teach? Jesus came again announcing something much more astounding than just a little group of people having their nation restored. Um, This kingdom would result in these eternal riches of Almighty God being being bestowed upon mankind. Now, Now listen to something. You won't find that. You won't find that truth in the Gospel of Thomas. And if you've ever studied the Apocrypha, you know what I'm talking about. That you won't find it in the Gospel of Thomas. You'll find it in the Gospel of Peter or any of the other extra-biblical books. They're called extra-biblical books that our church fathers deemed as what they call spurious or uninspired or not authentic. There's errors in these books. Back in the 300s, back in the, back in the early church history, there was a lot of books that claimed, a lot of letters and things that claimed to be actual scripture. You know, I said, hey, here's the Gospel of Thomas. 
And the church fathers would read these things and say, you know what? These are the fathers that knew people who actually were trained by people who knew the apostles so that the, the, the teaching was, they had the understanding of what was real, what was consistent, what was right in the, in, in the message of Christ. And they would read these letters and they say, you know what? That's, uh, that doctrine's not right. That is an error. That's not the doctrine of Jesus. Even though it has the Gospel of Thomas on it, there's errors in there. There's historical errors. Plus, this is not true to what Jesus preached. And then there was someone who said, well, how about the Gospel of Peter here? No, this one has errors as well. And so there was these books that they, the church fathers, they, they, uh, they work through this. And, and uh, we, that's, they, uh, they, they said, this, this book that we have, here, these books, these six books, these are the books that they approved as being authentic, as not having errors in them, as being uh, true to the doctrine of God. This Apocrypha, some of you might have studied it before, the Apocrypha is a, is a section of books. It's, I guess you would call it like the Middle Testament. You have the Old Testament, then you have these books, like the Gospel of Peter. The God, there was the Book of Enoch in there. There's First and Second Maccabees. Maybe you've had a chance to look at those sometime. But um, um, I think in the Roman Catholic Church, they include those books in their Bible. But we as Protestants don't include them because the Church Fathers said they weren't authentic. They weren't, uh, they weren't inspired by the Holy Spirit. So there's things that Jesus said that you won't find in those apocryphal books. There are things that are contradictions to what Jesus said. Listen, uh, like for instance, the, the real Jesus, the Jesus that we understand, that we know from the scriptures, he taught that he is more powerful than Satan, that they aren't, they, uh, they, they aren't uh, even close being equals. They're opposites. You know? Sometimes we think, well, you know, there's a fight between Jesus and the devil, and they're equal. No, they're not even close to being equal. The Bible tells us Jesus is far above all powers. He's, he's divine. And the devil, of course, is a created creature. He's a, create, he, he's a, a created being. And so they're just simply opposites. You got holy and you got evil. But Jesus, that's what the scriptures teach us about Jesus. The real Jesus taught that one wiser and greater than Solomon had arrived. And Solomon was quite famous in Jesus' day. So Jesus' claim really got people's attention. And another amazing claim here is that Jesus taught that he had the authority. Here at the bottom, he had the authority. You can't maybe see it. He had the authority to forgive sin. Like, wow. And of course, that caused quite a stink, didn't it, with the Pharisees. The Pharisees in Luke chapter 7, verse 49 said, What? Hey, only God, can for, only God can forgive sin. What are you saying about yourself? Well, you won't, again, you won't find that kind of thing in the apocryphal books. You won't find that kind of uh, definite laser beam light of, of God in the apocrypha as you only find it here in our holy scriptures. So that is just a definite claim 
uh, that Jesus, he's the one who had come from heaven. You know, this is what the four Gospels in the New Testament teach. It's, it's what, what Jesus taught. You know, let me, let me wind this down here. What did, what did uh, the real Jesus do? Well, Jesus was brave and courageous, never intimidated, always confident. Didn't that amaze you about him? Sometimes I think, Lord, I wish I was like that more. Where he was always courageous never intimidated, always confident. Um, And besides being fully God, we know he was perfect man. He reached out to sinners and forgave them. He summoned the right kind of disciples and empowered them for ministry. He confronted the indifferent people. He rebukes phonies and hypocrites head on. He warned backsliders of the coming judgment. He demonstrated full surrender to God in order to fulfill the will of God in your life. You won't find that kind of Jesus in any of those extra biblical books. You won't find him like that. He's not like that in the Gospel of Peter or Gospel of Thomas. What you'll find in those books, loved ones, is a compromising Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind so much that you're a sinner. He doesn't mind that it's not a big deal uh, about sin. Um, That's, you know, sin is no no big deal in in those books. You won't find the same Jesus there. Maybe that's why people are attracted to fake gospels because they don't want sin to be a big deal in their life. They don't want to be a big deal in their circle. You know, these phony books, they, they kind of re- they relieve a sinner's conscience because these books don't condemn sin like the books of our Bible. You know, not everybody wants Jesus to be Lord. Not everybody wants to be held accountable. The phony Jesus, the unbiblical Jesus, claimed by many people today, again, is a much compromised Jesus. You know, is it any wonder, you know, is it any wonder that Jesus said in Matthew, he said, hey, not everybody who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me who break God's laws. So we see there's a different Jesus in these apocryphal books than the one we have in in our Bible. And that's why the church fathers, that's why they said this, this was the true, the true word of God. Next Sunday, God willing, we're going to um, look at some cultures, why some cultures believe Jesus died on the cross and other cultures do not. We're going to look at why some cultures uh, don't even understand the concept of forgiveness, that it's only hate. It's only hate and, and, uh, and you know, revenge. They can't understand forgiveness. Why, uh, you know, we're going to look at why it took maybe 30 to 40 years, about 30 to 40, to write down the first gospel accounts after, uh, after Jesus went back to heaven. And why did Jesus teach the way he did? And we'll also look at why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how that they, why they jive so beautifully together. They just fit like a puzzle uh, together. While the extra biblical books of the Apocrypha, they trip all over each other. They contradict each other. Amen. Well, the Holy Spirit, he has always, well, covered all the bases. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you've been inspired by this as much as I have been. And uh, let's, let's close in a word of prayer together. 
Lord, we want to thank you so much today that you have made our salvation to not be flim-flam or to be questionable. You have not, uh, Lord, made a, a gospel that uh, is uh, and somehow phony or uh, unable to be authenticated or verified as true as and Lord this Jesus that we worship we thank you that you have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's Lord when it comes to uh, his authenticity that he is not a myth Lord and your word is is as secure as ever that you have made it to be a rock solid testimony of your revelation to us as to who you are and what you expect of us in what you promised to do in our lives. So we thank you, Lord, for, the, for, the, uh, for the, the goodness of your word to us. We thank you that it is a precious document to us, that it contains precious truth to us. Lord, and we are so grateful that we have it today in such, a mighty, in such mighty numbers that people can read it in every culture and understand your truth. They can understand what you're saying and what your kingdom is and who you want to, who you want to uh, be to us as King and Lord. So we praise your name today. We praise your name today that you have given us such a, a mighty good word. And Lord, we know that your word, your word will never pass away. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.